Isaac, Isaac read that passage for me this morning. One thing I enjoy about coming to Denton every first Sunday, I don't know how long we've been doing that. Do you, Yancey? It's been a while. I remember there were times when I held meetings here when they ran about three or four people in a service, you know, and it's great to see such a good crowd that you've got and want to compliment those that have hung in there, persisted and all. And like I said, appreciate Isaac reading that for me. When I was younger, first got into evangelistic work full time, I was the only guy among our brotherhood or our brethren uh, that was in full-time work. And I was run to death. I had gospel meetings scheduled three and four years ahead of time. Uh, I hated to do that, but there wasn't any other choice. Most of those meetings were Friday through two Sundays, 10-day meetings back during those times. And so I was run ragged, not because I was really good at what I did, but I was the only one as far as a, a young fellow that was in full-time work that, that could do that. We had fellows that... Uh, had jobs and held meetings and did work like that on the side. and But uh, I appreciate that very much. But I appreciate now, I used to pray the Lord send another evangelist to I didn't figure on 35 or 40. Listen, brethren, the Bible says the Lord is the head of the church. That's not a title, just a title. It is a title, but it's not just a title. We get to thinking maybe the Lord doesn't take a hand in affairs. Couldn't prove it to anybody that's a skeptic, you know. Sometimes we don't even realize it, but the Lord is the head of the church. He's run the church for you and I came on the scene. He'll run it after we're gone. We may not be as indispensable to the existence of the church as we sometimes think we are, you know. The Lord knows what He's doing. And the Lord has really blessed the church. He's blessed the work. And these evangelists we've got in the work can preach and work circles around me. And that's a really, really a good feeling. I don't stress and worry about the church like I did, you know, when I was younger. And uh, should have had more faith in the Lord, not worried about it anyway. The Lord knows what He's doing, you know. He takes care of things. But one thing I like about talking to Denton, you know, on first Sunday each month, I get usually get to have most of my kids and grandkids in the audience, and that's great. And and of course these these boys and all are taking Jacob participating in services, and Tanner will read for us this evening. My grandson Brandon's here, and. Uh, they're all involved in the church, and that's a, that's a good feeling. That's a good feeling. Uh, Isaac read for you from Genesis chapter 2, where God says it's not good for man to live alone. I'll make it help meat for him. That's what God says about man. And so then he caused Adam to sleep. In his sleep, he took a rib from his side. From that rib, he, he made the woman, presented her unto the man, and she became his wife. So God performed, we might say God performed the first wedding ceremony there ever was. When he created Eve, he brought Eve to the man, the Bible says. I can almost see God walking down the aisle presenting this girl to this man. The most beautiful thing God ever created, wasn't it? When God created woman, he really knew what he was doing. Of course, God knows what he's doing anyway. Jesus also performed his first miracle at a wedding. John chapter 2 in the town of Cana. Jesus performed the first miracle that he ever did at a wedding. So God and Jesus both have given their endorsement to marriage. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 of the Bible says, Marriage is honorable in all things, and the bed undefiled, but the whoremonger and adulterer will God judge. So marriage is a very honorable thing. God thinks a lot about marriage. I mean, he, he really approves of what he did with the creation of marriage. In uh, Proverbs 18, verse 22, He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. The Lord wants these young men to find a wife. Now, I know, and I realize too, that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he pointed out that due to certain circumstances sometimes, it's better for a man to be single or a woman to be single, as far as that's concerned. But in verse 26 of that chapter, he said, due to the present distress, sometimes there's stressful situations. But generally speaking, when a man finds a wife, he obtains favor of the Lord. The Lord looks well upon that, doesn't he? When a man finds a wife and he gets married, God says, Amen, from heaven, doesn't he? We don't hear it verbally, but that's what God thinks about it. First Timothy 5, verse 14, I will that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, if you read this, the context, he's talking about a young widow here. But he uses the general principle that God wills that the younger women marry. Well, of course, if God wants the men to marry, the women need to marry too, don't they? Like I said, due to the present distress, sometimes uh, there might be a present distress that would be better for a man or a woman not to be married. But if we just did away with marriage, there'd be no elders in churches and there'd be no future in the church either. Wouldn't be anything, would there? God knew what he was doing when he created the marriage. God created the earth. God separated light from the darkness. He caused the dry land to appear. And God said, it is good. God created the grass that grows upon the earth, and the herbs and the trees. Again, God said it is good. God created and set the stars and the sun and the moon in the heavens. And again, God said it is good. God created the fowls, or that's the birds that fly through the air, the fish that swim through the sea. And again, God said it is good. God created all the animals that roam upon the earth and all the creeping little things, <laughs> insects and everything else. And God said it is good. Then God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul, Genesis 2 and verse 7. And God said, it is not good. After everything God had done and created, and he said it is good, he created man and said, it is not good. It is not good that man should live alone. Man created by himself was not complete. That's not that God made a mistake when he created man. But man was not good because man was alone, had to live alone by himself. So we'd like to talk about marriage this morning. Uh, there are different purposes and different reasons for marriage. One, as we notice in Genesis 2 verse 18, it's not good for man to live alone. One of the important purposes of marriage is companionship. Wasn't good for a man to live alone. He created, he created a woman. When God created the woman, in most respects, she's just like man. When God created the woman, he gave her a brain. B-R-A-I-N. Brain. Someone said, Jerry, have you ever seen a brain? No. <laughs> but all the evidence seems to indicate that there is such a thing as a brain inside this skull up here. Now, when God created the woman for the man, why did he give her a brain? You think he expected her to think? Have opinions and ideas and to observe her husband and all, you reckon? 
Of course he did. Why? Because man needed more than one head to handle a problem situation you're going to deal with in life. They say two heads are better than one, and that's certainly true. If a man has a wife, he's got an assistant by him, his side that can help him and be a great companion to him. And you know something else God did when He created woman? He tied that brain to her mouth where she could say what she thought. <laughs> Reckon why in the world God did that? You know why He did because man needed advice from someone that knew him, someone that understood him, someone that dealt with the same situation and problems in life that he did. Now, there are some, occasionally, some men that are, they call them male chauvinists. Is that the word? I don't know, something like that. And they think that they got to do all the thinking. They don't ever want their wife to criticize or suggest something different than what they had in mind. Now listen, that's the reason God created the woman. Because sometimes men were wrong. And we need a little advice <laughs> in a kind, loving way, certainly, don't we? So that's one of the purposes of marriage. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says uh, that a husband should dwell with, with his wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. He didn't say eternal life. According to 1 Peter chapter 3, a woman might be a Christian, go to heaven, her husband might not, and vice versa. But he says, husband and wife are heirs together of the grace of life, the gift of life. God has blessed all of us that are here with life. Why is it God saw that I should live? I don't know. Why did He see fit that you should live? Well, I don't know. Maybe you don't know. But he did. He gave you and I life. That's a great gift. And a husband and wife enjoy the gifts of life together. God intended companionship to be, uh, to be an important part of this thing that he called marriage. And so it is that a husband and wife should enjoy each other. Men, if your dog's your best friend, you've got trouble in your marriage. I guarantee you that. I'm not against dogs. <laughs> Your best friend ought to be your wife. Oh, yeah, men like to get together and watch a football game maybe and they like to go out and uh, go hunting and this and that and things like that. That's great, but your wife ought to be the best friend you've got. You may enjoy things down at the coffee shop, but you ought to enjoy visiting with your wife more than that. So your wife ought to be your best friend. And if not, then take some steps in your marriage to change that somewhat. Change yourself. You and I can't change each other very much. Sometimes we try. Sometimes maybe we help each other. But you can change yourself more than anything else. And sometimes we need change. My wife's an audience and she'll remember this and she'll point that out from time to time. I'm sure that I need to change about something, you know. But that's true. That's very true. So one of the purposes of marriage is that of companionship. Enjoy life together. Another, of course, Genesis 2, verse 18, I'll make him help meet for him. Man needed assistance. And like I said, he created the woman. He gave her a brain. He tied the brain to her mouth where she could talk and speak to him. And, and he's got an assistant, someone to help him. When man was alone, should we say he was helpless? <laughs> helpless in a way? Well, maybe not entirely. You know, man 
accomplished some things. He named all the animals and some things like that. And he was dressed and keeping the garden as God told him to do. But man needed a help. Now, King James translation says, a help meet for him. That word's not a helpmate. It's a helpmeet. Mate spelled M-A-T-E. Meet is spelled M-E-E-T. They're different words. They have different meanings. Now, a woman is a helpmate, but that's not what this verse is talking about. I'm making help meet for him. The word meet means suitable, capable. Well, if my two hands meet, they come together. They're working together, you see. He made a helper that was meet for the problems man would have. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist preaching said, Bring forth works meet for repentance. What's that mean? Well, repentance is a change of heart. But if there's a real change of heart, there ought to be a change of life. And so our works should be meet for the repentance, or repentance meet for the works. If you repent, there ought to be a change in life. So God created the woman to be a help, a help meet for man, suitable for man, and for the problems and all he would deal with. Another purpose, uh, oh yeah, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. Now this is not just talking about marriage, but it says if two walk together and one fall down, the other will help him up. But if one walks alone, who shall help him up? And so it is in life, when the husband slips and falls, the wife slips and falls, the other helps him up. That's a good, that, that's one of the purposes of marriage. And remember, 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says she's the weaker vessel. Keep that in mind. A vessel is a container, not the contents. Mentally speaking, all the studies seem to show them men and women's intelligence is about the same. But the woman is a weaker vessel. Usually they're smaller in stature. A woman has less blood by a whole lot surging through her veins than what man does. They're not as strong physically maybe as a man. Men and women are different. God made them different. I mean, for example, uh, you have in your eyes what's called rods and cones. Rods pick up black and whites. Cones pick up colors. Did you know women have twice the number of cones as men do? Man sees a rainbow. He sees seven colors. A woman sees nine to twelve. Now, there's exceptions to this situation, but generally speaking, there's a big difference in men and women. You have a right brain and a left brain. And again, I haven't seen that, but all evidence seems to point to that. There's a cortex that ties the two brains together twice the size of a woman as it is in a man. How come God made it that way? Why? Because he wanted it that way. It needed to be that way. That makes a woman better able to multitask than a man and makes a man better able to focus on something. And so God, when he created a woman, he knew man needed a little broader focus on things, a little broader understanding, or at least a little better understanding brought to the problems and things he would deal with. So God made woman, and he made her different than man, didn't he? So one, another purpose of marriage is that of assistance, to help one another. Another purpose of marriage, Genesis 1, verse 28, God told Adam and Eve, multiply and replenish the earth. Now, having children was never a curse placed on woman. This is before the first day was finished. God told them, multiply and replenish, and replenish the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. You know, when God created this earth, it was kind of a wild, wild thing. And I don't mean in a bad way, but 
It's just like if you had a field out here that never was tended to, you know, it'd be wild, all kinds of this and that and everything else, you know. But God took the earth in, and in a portion of the earth called Eden, He made a garden in the east part of Eden. That was a specially prepared place for man. But you got a whole rest of this world out here. What was it for? Well, God intended men to have, and women to have children and eventually to repopulate the whole earth. Fill the earth, He said. Replenish the earth. Fill it. You know, if there's any single command that God has given to mankind that they pretty well followed and obeyed, it's fill the earth with people. Of course, there's a lot of vacant places on this earth, yet there's still room for more filling, so have more children. You know, God intended men and women to have children. That was part of God's plan from the very beginning. Psalms 127, five verses. Verse 1 says, Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. And we talk about the church there, and we apply that to the church many times. But it's specifically, basically talking about the home. Of course, the church is like a family, like a home. So I don't think there's any injustice used in applying that verse that way. But he says, except the man, except the, the Lord build a house, they labor in vain to build it. He's talking about the home. Except the home is built like the Lord wants it built. And with the Lord being the center of the home, then we labor in vain that build it. And then he goes ahead in the last two or three verses, he talks about children. He says, children are like arrows in the hand of a, lamp, of a man, and blessed is a man whose quiver is filled with them. Those children accomplish things for dad. Children usually respect their father a lot. When he gets older and needs help and assistance, things like that, they usually help, you know, in whatever way they can. My youngest daughter, Deborah, and her husband, Randall, we moved within 169 steps of where they live. <laughs> I'm 83. My wife's in her upper years. I know they're going to have to help take care of us some, sometime. But in the meantime, we help them too, you know, especially with the great-grandchild that's come along. We enjoy that kind of stuff and all. But you know, the Lord intended men and women to have children. That's one of the purposes of marriage. It's not just to have children, but to bring those children up. The curse placed upon the woman in the Garden of Eden was not having the children, but the pain and sorrow and heartache that would come along with the bearing of children and all. Another purpose of marriage, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, says, uh, Good for a man not to touch a woman, but in order to avoid fornication, let each man have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband. The word fornication is a broad term. Adultery is a more specific term. It's like automobile and Ford. An automobile, there's a lot of different kinds of automobiles. Ford is a specific kind. Fornication is a broad term. There's specific types of fornication. There's adultery. There's incest. There are pedophiles. There's homosexuality, bestiality. There's different forms of that, and it's all illicit. The word fornication means illicit sex is what it, what it refers to. And one of the purposes of marriage is to avoid fornication. Now, God placed within man and woman, he told him, replenish the earth, he placed within men and women, and especially in men, a strong drive in this respect. And it's brought about many children upon the face of this earth. The earth's been populated, God depopulated it with Noah, and it's repopulated again, hasn't it? A lot of them. And God realized this strong desire that he put in men and women realized that it would be difficult control unless there was some help. And that's one of the purposes of marriage.
1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 5, read that. I'm not going to read it out loud among you, but it tells about a woman and a man's relationship in this intimate thing we're talking about here and about their responsibility to one another in, in that. Another purpose of marriage is for the preparation, development of leadership. The man is to be the head of the wife. The Bible tells the woman to submit herself unto her husband as unto the Lord. And the command is not to the man to bring his wife under subjection. The command is to the woman to submit herself unto that man. And any man that realizes his wife has chosen him that she might be subject to him, a man that realizes that, you should take that as a tremendous compliment. That woman chose you to be her head. And uh, this, like I said, it ought to mean an awful lot to you. It ought to help build you up and encourage you that she's got that kind of faith and confidence in you. Probably didn't know you very long. For she, you asked her if she'd marry you, and she said she would. Probably didn't know you very well. Probably thought she did, but when she got married, she found out she didn't. <laughs> but she stays married to you because she loves you and because she respects you as being her head. Now, being the head and the proper head of a family with wife and children will, will help develop leadership in a man and will qualify him for leadership in the church. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, If a man knows not how to rule his own house, how can he rule the church of God? So another purpose of marriage is that of, uh, <clears throat> is that of developing leadership. <clears throat> Near a young fellow, still know him, He's not young any longer, but I still know him. known him a long time. First met him when he was about 12 years old. He's very shy, very timid-like. Never had very much to say around people. I'm sure he had a tremendous lack of self-confidence. One time I was in Newcastle, Oklahoma in a gospel meeting, and he, and he had married, and he and his wife had moved there, and he got up to lead a song in a church. I thought, well, well, we hope he does good. Man, he, he pitched that song, took off on it, and just blew my mind. This timid, shy boy that never had very much to say, look what he's doing. And before long, he was in the pulpit preaching. He's one of our evangelists today. He married a girl that had confidence in him to help build him up. His name's Terry Newell. A lot of you know Terry. He was very shy and timid and quiet when he was young. But with the help and assistance of his wife, we're not talking about a woman pushing her husband, you know, and driving him, but with the encouragement and the help of his wife, her love for the Lord and her love for the church like he did too, he just naturally developed. Home is a wonderful place for developing leadership, isn't it? And that's one of the purposes of marriage. The five we've covered is uh, purpose of marriage is companionship. Man needs companion. Assistance and help. Man needs help. To the bearing of children. Uh, to avoid fornication. To keep himself morally as he should. And to prepare for leadership. And there are probably other purposes to marriage. And you can probably think of some of them. But those are five that came to my mind. Purpose of marriage. Well, no wonder God said it's very good. 
when he created a woman as a help for man. No wonder he did. Marriage is a wonderful thing. A basic principle underlies marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. The success of a marriage depends upon the success of blending your two lives together. You'll still think different about things, but the togetherness is very, very important. Amos 3, verse 3, How can two walk together except to be agreed? And now... In marriage, the more agreements you can have on things, the better your marriage is going to be. Your attitude towards raising of children, your religious convictions, you know, your moral behavior and things of like that, and the more you're like each other, the more successful your marriage is going to be. Now, actually, Amos 3 verse 3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? He means agreeing to walk together. That's what he means. It doesn't mean agreement in all aspects of life, but it's important, very important, that they two become one. That's what God had in mind. And it says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. You gotta leave your mother, mother and father. You gotta do it. Because mom and dad have a hard time letting loose of children even after they're grown. I've been that way. It's hard when you've had your children all their lives, you know. And then all of a sudden the son marries a girl or the girl marries a son and getting away. And since it's so difficult, maybe for parents to let loose, he tells the man and the wife to do that. They got married. Leave your father and mother. Be joined together and two of you become one flesh. How far do you have to leave? Well, you might live across the street, but you might have to move to Alaska. Because mama's still mama, daddy's still daddy. And sometimes the young married man runs back to his dad for things, and the young woman runs back to her mama for things. Now, I'm not saying that your mom and dad can't be a help and an assistance, and they can, and they should, all right. But sometimes it's important, and it's important for other reasons, too, for a man and a woman to get together, to live together. Now, I lived about 150 miles from where Cheryl was raised, where her parents lived when we got married. Now, I didn't move there for the purpose of getting away from my mom and dad. That's just the way where I lived. I was doing evangelistic work in Duran, Oklahoma. And I'm sure her mom and dad felt like that was too far. She was an only child. And it was very, very important for two to become one. That's a basic principle that underlies marriage, that the two should become one. Genesis 29 is an interesting story. Here's a young man. His name was Jacob. I have a grandson by the name of Jacob, but that wasn't you he was talking about here. This Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. He went back into the home country where his mother had come from. And back in that area, he hadn't been there any time till here came this beautiful girl riding on a burro or donkey of some kind. Beautiful girl. It was love at first sight. It was. Now, you've got to be careful of this love at first sight business because what you see is not always what, what's there, you know. But with Jacob, it was love at first sight. He loved Rachel the minute he saw her. And he asked her dad if he could have her for a wife. And he said, if you work for me seven years, then you can have her for a wife. And he did. And the Bible said it seemed to him but just a few days for the great, because of the great love that he had for Rachel. The big night came. 
the wedding ceremony. I don't know the details of how it took place at all. I don't know. I don't know how, what kind of ceremonies they used back in those times. But Jacob got married that night. The next morning he woke up, he'd married the wrong girl. Rachel had a sister by the name of Leah. And her father slept her in there. I don't know if she had a veil and he couldn't see. I don't know if he had too much to drink or I don't know what the deal was. But he woke up the next morning and found out he hadn't married who he thought he had. Many young men, many a young girl have gotten married, woken up a few days, a few months, a year or two later and found out they didn't marry who they thought they married. That girl, that boy wasn't exactly what they, he, they thought that he was or she was when they got married, you know. Young folks, when you get married, don't throw your head away. I know you need that special feeling in your heart. I'd say don't throw your heart away. You need that special feeling of affection for one another. It'll help you through for some very difficult times. But when you get married, don't throw your head away. Because after you've been married, if you married the wrong kind of a guy and he's not the right kind of a husband, you're going to regret it. And then when the children comes along and he's not the kind of father he ought to be and not the, you know, the right kind of a father and all, you'll be regretted even greater. Like I said, don't throw your heart away. You need that heart, that special love for one another. But don't you throw your head away. Now, if you read the rest of the story, Jacob, needless to say, was upset at his father-in-law. <laughs> he said, okay, you can have Rachel for a wife too if you work for me seven more years. <laughs> and he did. But he didn't have to wait seven years to go ahead and have Rachel for a wife too. Then He married her too. You know, he had a wife Hey, all of a sudden, he had two wives there. Jacob did. And father-in-law pulled a, a dirty trick on him, didn't he? He really did. Use your head when you get married, and after you're married, don't throw your head away then either. There comes difficulties in marriage sometimes. Work things out. Work them out. Especially if you're both Christians, you should know and understand God expects you to work your difficulties out. He knows you're going to have difficulties. With one of you, are going to have disappointments. God knows that. God wants you to work them out. And if you do that, your marriage will be even stronger than it was. The lesson is yours this morning. We've got more to say about marriage. We'll say this afternoon. We'll get into that in the responsibilities of husband, wife, and marriage. But that's all we'll have to say for the morning. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a child of God or not a Christian, we'd like to encourage you to be baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins. That'll help your marriage. It's a whole lot easier on a woman if her husband is also a Christian. And vice versa. It's a lot easier also on a man if his wife is a Christian. You'll do great, wonderful things for your marriage by obeying the gospel. Now, that's not the main purpose of it. The main purpose is the salvation of your soul and obedience to your Lord Jesus Christ that died upon a cross and shed His blood for you. That's the main purpose of being baptized into Christ that your sins might be forgiven and wiped out. If you're here this morning and you'd like to be baptized into Christ, we'd like to encourage you to do that. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. John 8 and verse 24, you need to repent of your sins. Luke 13 and verse 3, you need to confess your belief in Christ. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, and certainly, as we said, then you need to be baptized into Christ. Uh, there's a baptistry here. Well, there could be water in it pretty quick, unless you're 
water pressures like it was in Denison, Texas when I was young. It took three, four hours to fill a baptistry. But if you'd like to be baptized into Christ, there's, there's sufficient time this morning. Uh, the biggest hold up back on you becoming a child of God or a Christian is that repentance thing. That's a change of the heart. That's when you make up your mind. I want to change my life and give my life to the Lord and be baptized into Him for the remission of our sins. And I can't repent for you. I can baptize you or some of these other brethren can baptize you. We can listen to your confession, your belief in Christ. But we can't turn that repentance knob on. Every preacher wishes he had the kind of words that he could speak that would just open a person's heart for them to respond to the gospel. But you can't do that. You're the one that controls repentance in your own heart. That's all up to you. God made you a creature of choice, and He's not going to make you become a Christian. He's not going to force you to do it, and we're not going to either. But God wants you of your own will and desire to turn your life towards His Son and towards Him and become a Christian and live a Christian life. So if you're here this morning you'd like to be baptized into Christ, we're going to sing an invitation song encourage you to come. If you desire the prayers of the church, we'd invite you to come too. Will you come while we're standing and singing the song this morning?